0: I can't stop thinking about Nintendo causing so many sexual awakenings.
1: This is a lot.
2: (laughs) This is queer (laughs) culture. (laughs) Yeah, we've got two out of six here um, with Nintendo experiences.
1: You can't see all of the Nintendo stuff that I have just out of camera here, all over my desk on this wall here and over there.
3: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the CC SoC Echo podcast. I'm Fiona and alongside my co-host Anjini, we are here with our amazing guests to talk about the ins and outs of being LGBTQ plus person in computer science. Um, thank you so much for taking your time off with this.
2: And so just to begin this part off, um, why don't we just start with a little introduction on everyone? So um, if you guys could just um, tell our listeners your name, uh, what you currently do, and how you identify yourself in the LGBTQ plus community. Um, Blake, do you want to start us off?
1: Sure, I'm Blake Morris. I'm first year in computer science and I am gay and non binary.
4: Hi, I'm Emma Krantz. Uh, I work at CSIRO, specifically in Data61 um, on Terrier, which is a 3D geospatial data visualization platform, fancy web maps. Um, and I am gay and I use she, her pronouns.
0: Hello, my name is Alex. Uh, I work at and doing security. My job is to hack them and then show them how we did it. And I'm non-binary, um, my pronouns are they or them.
5: Hi, I'm Aaron Quigley, I'm Irish and I work in computer sciences head of school. I'm gay and I use the pronouns he, him. Cool, um,
2: and also, as co-hosts, um, Fiona, do you want to introduce yourself too?
3: Um, yeah, sure. Um, so I'm Fiona. I'm studying electrical and computer science as a first year, and I identify myself as ace, and I use she, her pronouns. Cool.
2: Yeah, and I'm Anjini. Uh I'm a second-year computer science student. Um, I'm director of CSE Soc Media this year. Um, I use she, her pronouns, and I identify as bisexual, um, although queer, pansexual kind of cover as well. Um, yeah.
3: Yeah, now that like we've introduced ourselves, um, we're here to like discuss about our experiences of being LGBTQ plus in computer science. I just wanted to ask, um, do you think the current CC culture is welcoming to the LGBTQ plus people in general?
4: Welcoming is an interesting word, right? Cause like, like I think, I think, you know, it's like there's like a spectrum between like complete hostility and then there's welcoming. And I think I've found things, you know, somewhat in between, depending on who you're talking to
2: and what day it is. Do you find that it's the it's similar, like depending on the environment, I guess? Um, Or has it like changed depending on where you've been?
4: I mean, I think, um, like in my current team, I'm not doing the gay person in my team. so that 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 helps. um, but like in my my last workplace, um I was the token queer. and so that was, I mean, it was fine. Like no one was like it wasn't I didn't deal with like outright homophobia or like you know anything explicitly bad day to day. but I, I think, and this is probably one of the things I find the hardest. It's just like the the pervading heteronormativity um, and cisnormativity as well um, is is what I find really hard. So even if the people you're talking to um, are not bigots and you know they they are nice people who generally care and respect about people, like they just like you know you're always a bit weird. Um, yeah. Does that answer your question? <laughs>
2: Oh yeah, no, for sure. Um, What about, I guess, yeah, Blake, like is that something that
1: you've related to? I haven't really had any experience with computer science as an industry outside of university and I haven't really had any particular experiences even within computer science at university towards me being gay or non-binary, but as a whole the university experience so far has been very welcoming, at least compared to living in the middle of nowhere, going to an all-boys high school, that was definitely not ideal. So right. That's it's a big improvement.
0: When, even if it's welcoming or even when it's welcoming in like at university or an industry or whatever, uh, if people, even if people are accepting and welcoming, it can still feel like, ah, there aren't that many people like me here or there's no one who's like like me enough here. So, And like that's not really, that's not felt fault, right? That it happened to not be like you, I guess. That's how it is being in a minority.
3: Rather than like um, welcoming, what what about like? Do you think like the LGBT people are represented underrepresented in the CS field?
0: I mean, I think so. Isn't aren't the stats roughly what like 10, 15 percent? I don't see that many people. I don't see about. Oh, I don't. I don't know. I don't actually have stats on um, how many people are queer and LGBT. Um, does anyone?
1: Mm, no, it is kind of hard to tell because people are at different levels of comfort with telling other people, so you never really know.
4: I, in the sort of community of about, um, I don't know, let's say 20 people that I work with regularly, um, I only two of them are out as anything other than straight. Um, and as far as I know, and you know, that's not saying much, I don't work with any trans people directly, but who knows?
2: Yeah. Um, Aaron, I guess, since you've been in the CS field for a while, I guess, what have you been, um, (laughs) uh, what have you seen in terms of like representation?
5: Um, Mm -hmm. I'm usually wherever I've ever worked, I, I'm usually the only, uh, lgbtqi person that i've known and i worked in large places um, often i feel it's because i've been out for a very long time um, i've been in the media because of my situation with myself and my husband um, it's very yeah i literally can't think and i've worked in lots of different places i've worked in germany in the us and japan and singapore ireland several times in australia um, I, it would be I'd be hard pressed to remember another time where I worked in a, in a school where there was another person um, who was visible and identifiably out. Um, so I've always been a singular uh, kind of <laughs> representative of this community. It doesn't mean that the wider universities that I've worked in don't have broader representation. Um, they've always had very active communities like the last university I worked in was St. Andrews in Scotland. There they had a very visible uh, set of uh, champions amongst the staff. And then also a very visible uh, student community group. But anywhere I've ever worked, it's uh, you're running into a lot of privacy legislation. So like now as head of school, it's not it's never something I could ask somebody like as somebody's boss. This is definitely never something I could bring up if they just if somebody discloses it to me. I mean, and everyone knows about myself and my husband, like and nobody, nobody cares. I mean, it's just it's just part of our kind of day to day life in the school. You know, I was hired. I happened to be married to a guy. We moved here. It's no big deal. I've lived here before. People know us, um, but I could never ask somebody about something like this. So unless somebody discloses it to you through their employment status, um, you would never be able to bring it up. And it's the same thing with students. It's a it's typically a private matter unless somebody somehow mentions something to you, and um, you would just never be. It would never be a wise thing to bring up with somebody um, because it's it's not part of what we should be asking our students about. It's not what we should be asking our staff about uh, because. For, to force somebody to disclose something that they don't want to disclose is is not the right thing to do. Um, but even I, I found everywhere, and I, I've been in academia and industry, um, and I've always found everywhere I've worked to be varying degrees of supportive, uh, depending on the time. Um, like thinking back to like when I first, I was first in college, like homosexuality was illegal for my first two years in college in the country I was living in. It's not just frowned upon, but actually illegal until nineteen until 1993. So all through first and second year, this was a crime where I was living. So I've kind of gone full spectrum of it being a crime to being it part of just being kind of day to day life. I'm older than all of you.
2: <laughs> um, I had no idea that um, you lived through a period where um, homosexuality was actually a crime, because um, like you're not that old, like it wasn't, it wouldn't have been that long ago. (laughs) Yeah.
5: Um. (laughs) But, but even, but even recently, even recently, we've moved to countries um, and been based in countries where certain aspects of being gay is still a crime. So, you know, I went on sabbatical to Singapore and that was still a risk. So if anything had happened to either of us during those circumstances, we wouldn't have had any protections. And it's the same to this day. There's about 70 to 80 countries in the world where there's different forms of discrimination against LGBTQI uh, people in different shapes and forms. So where you go, you might, your partner might not be able to come into the hospital. Um, You might not be able to adopt. You might not have, you know, reciprocal rights. Uh, You might not have employment rights just because somebody goes somewhere else. So there's still a huge amount of discrimination built, baked into the, the legislative systems around the world and governments. There's, it's not a uniform uh, set of rights. And even here in Australia, um, you know, you're seeing, you know, anti-trans legislation that's coming down the pipe all the time. So it's very easy for these things to kind of change and vary and then roll back against certain members of our
2: community. Um, going off of that, uh, I guess, yeah. Um, do you think how, like, how is it, how important is it now um, to have, I guess, like, I guess, like out people um, who, who I guess are visibly out, like, do you think that's an important um, part of, uh, I guess, like your workplaces or like at uni?
4: No, I, I, I think normalisation is very important. I think that, like, it sounds kind of lame and cheesy, but I actually think that, like, as a human being, some of the biggest positive impacts I've had on the people around me is actually by being out. And like when I, when I was at uni, so I stayed at a residential college um, in Perth when I was at uni and um, I was the only one I knew who fell under the LGBTQIA plus umbrella when I came out. Um, and like people were, people were pretty chill about it. Like it wasn't a big deal, but then sort of, and I, I wouldn't, you know, I would by no means go, it's all because of me. But, um, I, I found that kind of around me, I think, I think because queer people kind of, we tend to come in groups. Um, like I just like slowly my friends and sort of the people around me and more people at college started coming out. And I don't like, I don't think it's, yeah, I don't think it's like a causal thing, but I think it's sort of, the more people who feel comfortable being open with who they are, the more people who feel comfortable with open, being open who they are, um, it's kind of a a snowball effect. Um, So yeah, but it's scary.
0: (laughs) I don't know if it's like necessarily has to be workplace or university, but somewhere in general, it's good to have people who are out because I don't know about you, but like for me and I think for a lot of people, seeing someone else being out is what helped them figure out that they are whatever they are right and so maybe it's good for people to be that person to somebody else
2: um that point is so true um if you don't mind if you want to like um get personal it was who was it for you guys um that i guess like helped like after you saw they were out like really helped with your own coming out i guess
0: i'm here to get personal don't even worry about it Jeannie. um <laughs> Uh, for me, it was I one time at a like a uh, chill house party thing. I saw a guy wearing nail polish, and I was like, "Where where I grew up was like on the central coast." That was like highly illegal you would have such a bad time if you did that and i remember i think i said it out loud i probably should have like just thought about it first but i was just saying my thoughts but they didn't being like what you can do that you can wear nail polish and nobody like beats you up and stuff and the guy was like yeah and i was like i'm sorry i'm just having a moment and i was like i'm definitely going to do that and i did and that was like a slippery slope into figuring out that i was non-binary but that was what started it was just seeing this person just doing it and nothing bad happening to them
4: i didn't know gay people existed until i was about 12. <laughs> Um not like my my parents and not like any sort of you know traditional or you know homophobic or anything. It just it somehow never came up. Um and then so in kind of early high school, I think I was about, I think it was about 13, 14, um I like like I didn't know anybody who was queer, like anybody, anybody. Um you know all girls high school, um, and but I did spend too much time on the internet, and uh, I you know, I was really into like uh, Super Smash Bros and like Fire Emblem and stuff, and so like uh, it was fan art, it was gay internet <laughs> fan art, and I was like, oh, oh, this is a thing, oh, and then of course, being 14. I fell in love with my best friend um, at my all-girls high school, which had a surprising number of people who weren't women at it in my youth group, who were in my friendship group. Um, yeah, so for me, there was, was nobody. And I think that's part of why it was so scary.
1: For me, it was a very similar situation to Emma, being in an all-boys high school in the middle of nowhere I did not know a single queer person at that school, and maybe one in the entire town. So, there wasn't really anyone in person. But my school counselor really helped a lot with that, and definitely online groups, specifically around Nintendo games as well.
5: So, in college, I didn't know anybody in my family circle in Ireland. There was nobody. I, there was no. There was nobody around me who I knew who was gay. Um, and that is when I started coming out in college to some of my friends, uh, then I got to know some of the other people when I actually lived on campus in my final year of college. Uh, but what really then helped is when I went to the year after I went to live in Japan, um, on an English language teaching program. And that's when I was just, I came and I was then from day one, I was just gay. So like everybody who then met me from then on knew, and it was much easier so those kind of reset moments in life when you go to uni or you go out to the workplace or you go somewhere else, you decide you're not going to kind of step between two different worlds or you're not going to try to you know, keep it private. You're just going to say, no, no, I'm just going to make this decision from here on. I'm going to be, um, I'm just, this is who I'm going to be. And everyone's when they meet me for the first time, they're just going to have to deal with it from there on. And that, that was much easier once I went to Japan. That was really simple. Um, just being that new person.
1: Yeah, that's how I handled it. Moving to Sydney, pretty much the same.
0: I can't stop thinking about Nintendo causing so many sexual awakenings. This is a lot.
1: <laughs> this is queer <laughs> culture.
2: <laughs> yeah, we've yeah. got two out of six here um, with Nintendo yeah.
1: experiences. You can't see all of the Nintendo stuff that I have just out of camera here, all over my desk on this wall here and over there.
2: Um, yeah, Fiona, did you have a Nintendo experience?
3: Um, I actually didn't because, like, um. I, I I grew up in a lot more stricter background with like my parents not letting me do a lot of things. Um, I guess for me, like gaming hasn't been like essential part of my growing up. It was more of anime, like considering my like my background of my room. Yeah, but overall, like yeah, I don't really have much to input about. Like I didn't really have that sort of experience per se. Um,
2: yeah, are you comfortable with talking about your experience? So it's okay if we move on.
3: Um, I guess my coming out experience, it was more of um I actually like in high school, um, I went I also went to an old girls high school. Um and there was a there was a lot of like questioning within myself as well. Um I had like a few traumatic experiences um about like I guess being betrayed by um someone I had a I had a crush with um it wasn't it wasn't a good experience anyways because like she didn't like think of me as like how I thought of her um so just to clarify I am a I I am like a bio-romantic um I I don't feel, like, sexual attraction towards, like, other people, but I still feel romantic relationships. I guess for me, it's kind of an experience, like, having to fall for someone, but it doesn't, like, come through because they don't accept you for, like, who you are, and... Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think... I don't know it it, it like it sucks I think um especially I I think for anyone unrequited love sucks but it it sucks a little bit more when it's like it's like kind of you know it's like because of who you are and yeah um yeah I think that's uh possibly like a pretty relatable experience um yeah I think I I kind of like Also, went to an all-girls private school. Um, And what is it about all-girls schools? Yeah,
1: I think we can conclude that gendered high schools and primary schools are pretty terrible.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, And I was in a strangely... Like, I grew up... It was in Sydney, but, like, my school... My year group specifically was strangely conservative. Um, And so, yeah, like... I I think my initial like crushes on friends, like I didn't even know at the time because like I didn't know it was really a thing. Um and then I was just like, yeah, I just really like them. I just want to be with <laughs> them all the time. Um and then I think like it was for me, it was because of a TV show. It was the hundred. Um, there was like <laughs> a, a queer couple. And then I was like, wait, I, I'm very obsessed with these two. Hey and then like the dots started connecting, um yeah, but I, I think there's also the like the gut-wrenching feeling of like oh they're they're never gonna like me back. And it's like, ah, uh, yeah um, and, and I think it's like even though it sucks like I think it's quite nice knowing that like a lot of it's it's not a it's not a um rare experience uh, like a lot of other people have been through. Um, similar things
4: I I can't even like it's it's not the same but like I can't even count how many straight girls I've had crushes on like <laughs> it's I don't know I, th- I think one of the things that I find really hard as a queer person is like there are, there are sort of these like narratives of like things are good now you know people are accepting and like you know one that's clearly not the case you know all over the world but even you know even in countries like Australia that uh, I was about to say tend to be better about these sorts of things but your mileage may vary um depends greatly on where you are um like there's still you know on one hand like we have Mardi Gras and you know rainbows and rainbow capitalism and you know stores selling rainbow everything and all that stuff but like we have like people's very real experiences and not just like not just not just older people but like very young people who have had to deal with you know like being seen as other by the people around them um and I find that really hard that sort of my parents are like, oh, but like people aren't homophobic anymore. I'm like, it's more complicated than that. I don't know how other people feel about that or if it's just me.
5: My husband will not hold my hand in public when we're walking along, no matter how safe it is, how perceptually safe it might be. It's it's built deep into his DNA now to be very fearful of wherever we are under any circumstances where we are. Um, that if we were to hold hands, we might just get bashed by some random person. And there's I don't think for the rest of our lives that will ever change. Um, and he's currently in the other room, probably upset with me saying that. But I know it's true. He does that. That whole public display of affection is not something that he can do. And straight couples can. Um, and that's just the kind of the price uh, of living for us. One of the one of the small little uh, niggles that we have to deal with. Yeah, I
4: mean, I'm 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 twenty five. And um, like I, I know people my age who have been beaten up for being queer. Like it's still it's still very real. It still
2: happens. Um, and I think yeah. Um, to go off of that, I, I guess um, how, how how do you think like why why do you think this happens and like what can we do? to sort of, like, is there like a way that things can change?
1: It's very hard to tell because we can only look at how it's already been, which is not ideal. So it's sort of hard to see things as changing that much.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: Maybe it will end up being similar to how racism is being treated now. Like, it was a lot worse a long time ago and it's still bad, but... It's better than it was before, and it's you know it's still a long way to go. But like, I think the attitudes probably changed slowly. Now it's like, I, I, is it most people? I don't know. It seems like a lot of people, at least that I know and talk to, like they like understand that it racism is bad, right? And it's like kind of become the popular enough view. So now that like now being racist is the minority rather than the majority, right? Maybe it will be like that. I don't know.
4: Something about humans, like we 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 sort of want to put people into categories and. which is like, that's, that's kind of, that's just kind of humans and brains. Like we, we identify things, we put labels on them. That's how we understand the world. But I, I think as long as people sort of go, this is the majority, I'm in the majority, you're in the minority. Like, I think we will always have to consciously fight against, you know, racism, homophobia, transphobia, ableism, like, but, but at the same time, like we, we can see like the world is changing, you know, like constantly in, in small ways. Like, I don't know, this is, I'm not even that old, but whenever I talk to sort of like, I have friends who graduated like a few years after me from the same school and they're like, no, like we, there were gay girls now. Yeah. Like nobody cared. It was fine. And like, like no one dared to come out while, while I was at school, like nobody. So like it, you know, even in the span of this, would have been this would have been four years. Um, you know, things change, which is not to say that things are all magically better and okay, but I do think it's getting better slowly. Um, but it could, you know, it might be like a sort of you know, diminishing returns over time.
5: I mean, it has to be part of the kind of fabric of life. Um, so you see now in the media, in television, in music, in popular culture, you see a much broader spectrum of people, the diversity of where you're living and sexuality is just one of those elements that is now in the mix. And then it just becomes what younger people see and then they just assume that it's this kind of broad blend and that it being being one, ethnicity or being from some background or having a particular sexuality that this just doesn't it's not it's unsurprising the idea that it, it used to be surprising is the is kind of a is an anachronism whereas these days it's just kind of the assumption that there's every individual is going to be quite unique. Um, And this sort of normative um, assumptions basically kind of go away, that people just don't automatically assume certain things when they meet other people. They just assume that they have to kind of build up a, a profile of you. They have to kind of build up their understanding of you, not just look at you and then say, oh, I look at you and I'm going to start making all kinds of assumptions about who you are. It's That's the problem. It's when people look at each other and go, oh, let me just try and decode you just based on your visual representation, you're like that's that's a dangerous starting point in life, and, and I think younger people don't do that. I think younger people are are more prone to wait and listen and learn and figure out who the other person is before they try to start, you know, putting them into buckets. But that's a slow process. You're talking about an intergenerational change there. You're not talking about decades. You're talking about you know hundreds of years for that to kind of become baked into societal um, belief systems
1: that is one of the ways that the internet can help a bit because a lot of the time you don't really have the ability to just judge someone by their appearance online so that was that's one of the ways that helped me
4: steven universe made me cry um because like obviously like highly emotional show um but like this is it's it's a kid show and like it's. I mean, it's. It's. It's not even that queer, right? Like, like it is, but it's not. Like, there isn't. It's not like. It's not like. oh yes. This is my wife. Like, it's. It's still very low key, trying to get past censor boards until the later seasons, which I don't think I've seen yet. But like, I watched an episode where oh, I can't even remember what it was, but it made me cry because I was like, this is a kids' TV show, that like. You know it, it depicts queer relationships and sort of like you know it, different representations of gender other than male female um and like it's a kid show and like you know it's not the only one either like that that blows my mind and so I think yes the the children are our hope <laughs> um in the sense that you know like education is just so, 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 so important in terms of, um, you know, teaching rather than having to like learn the wrong thing and then unlearn it, teaching people the right thing in the first place, you know, don't don't be racist, don't be sexist. Like um, I think that helps. So I think through, through positive representations of me in media is like a huge way that, you know, the world is slowly slowly shifting
2: yeah because people can't like control their um I guess their immediate surroundings like if you have a bigoted family like you're kind of stuck with that but you can see good things like people like you on tv and that helps a little bit I think
4: yeah I mean like specific to tech um I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to embarrass her, but um, Nikki Ringland, right? When I met Nikki Ringland, um, Dr. Nikki Ringland, um, who is a fellow woman in tech, um, and I would have been 17, I was at the National Computer Science Summer School. Um, like, I had never really seen women in tech
2: before. <laughs>
4: um, like, I, I'd never, you know, I, I was the programmer nerd kid. Um, you know, my dad wrote code, I wrote code, some of my dad's friends wrote code, um, and they were all they were men, and that, that was kind of it, um, and so to meet someone, someone like Nikki, who is also just wonderful generally, but, like, is super, like, super good at what she does, um, was mind-blowing for little 17-year-old me, and I think that probably, like, it sounds cheesy, but, like, seeing people who I could identify with, Doing doing stuff in tech like made me see it as a thing that I could actually do rather than a thing that other people did, I
2: guess. Um, what about I guess um how I, I guess seeing like the first welcoming person is like um is such a like a nice thing that helps us, I guess, like feel a little bit more welcome, feel a little bit more okay um, in our communities. Uh, what about, um, I guess just in CS in in computer science in general, have you been able to like find communities of like other queer people in computer science?
5: So I work in the area of what's called human computer interaction. Um, and for the last few years, um, at our large, uh, CHI conference that we have, we've had a get together of, um, LGBTIQ and, allies also uh, have come along to that and that's a community of maybe about a hundred people who come Um, and in the last couple of weeks there's been a push uh, to create a a mentoring um, program within that group because just this year i was actually the general chair for the conference and we had 5100 people so you have 100 out of 5100 so it's a small it's a small minority Uh, when the conference used to be physically held there was a party there used to be kind of a get together where people would mingle and network um, and kind of build up those groups but it's a it's a fairly small group out of a larger group that only met once a year but now meets more regularly online and will have a mentoring program but um within apart from apart from that in computing i've never seen in my experience, I've never seen anything as a dedicated group emerge, because our numbers are are just so small. Typically,
0: yeah, there is a queer or LGBT etc uh, group at atlassian where I work, um, I haven't I, I haven't like been following it. I haven't like I think I joined the Slack channel one time, but um, I know it is there. But uh, that was only when I but that was only when I started working when I was in uni. I like. Did end, like, did end up finding, like, uh, my, my friends, a lot of, like, friends were queer, but I didn't find, like, an official queer community. You just kind of either just a- accidentally be like, oh, that's strange, I get along with these people really well, oh well, or you uh, just kind of can tell and you try and seek out the people who look like they might be like you. But there wasn't anything official in uni.
4: We have, like, informal get-togethers at work that's sort of a secret, it's not really secret, but, like, a mailing list. Um, but like, I don't know, I think my strategy, um, is to be unapologetically queer, um, and then people tend to sort of feel more comfortable coming up to you as a fellow queer, and so you at least, like, in your immediate environment are more likely to find the people who are like you, um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I know Alice, <laughs> um, but yeah, like, you know, I, there's one other, there's, yeah, like I said, there's one other gay software engineer in my team, um, but like he is the only person I've ever really worked directly with like day to day. So yeah, I, I mean, I you know, I have lots of queer friends, but not so much queer work friends.
3: <laughs> so like thoughts on like, um, just adding on to that, what what are your like thoughts on like hiring for like culture and diversity within like a workplace compared to like pure technical skill in CS? Like um in terms
2: of um suppose, yeah, if you feel like do we need to be hiring for diversity? Um I guess maybe Aaron, because I guess you you are in charge of hiring
5: at this point. We d- uh, we, uh, we do, we definitely do hire for diversity. Um so the, I mean, when you actually get into an interview process, the, like, so for example, the last round of interviews we had for the education focused uh, people that we hired, uh, we, we recruited five, uh, we had 270 applications. So when you're actually doing the shortlisting process, technical skills are just one facet that kind of gets you the first, you know, 80 set of set of 80 people out of that 270 very similar sets of skills very similar kind of career levels um, and then you get down to start looking at all kinds of other experiences in terms of you know uh work and terms of you know um engagement in activities and in all the other descriptions of what you're looking for in the role so in in the in the role description that we have you probably map about 20 to 40 percent of it as being technical skills but the, the vast majority of the rest of it is much broader sets of skills, um that you're actually looking for when you're recruiting. Um, one of the one of the ways I did it the last time uh, was because we were trying to uh, redress the balance in terms of um, gender identity that we have within the school. Um, I just basically took a large energy and effort to reach out to all of the um, women, uh, women in computing groups, groups that represent these um, sets of people around the world. And that was the kind of the first set of energy that we put into it. So that, that ended up working quite well, um, but you have to kind of make a conscious decision when you're recruiting as to where you're gonna put in energy into the recruiting process. Um, these days actually within the university, uh, if you're hiring a senior person, um, you won't be able to go to interview unless you have a broader representation. Like if you were to try and do a uh, an interview panel and it was all people who identified as male, um, that would, you wouldn't even be allowed to get to the interview process itself, like let alone try to do recruitment. And there's already, a, there's already the expectation that you'll have um, a certain level of representation. Um, And it's the same thing on the interview panel as well. Like, you know, who the people who are actually on the interview panel also have to be more representative. It's all about like who you want to be in the future. That's the the point, like we know in computing right now, it's it's not where we want it to be. So we just set our targets, we set our sights. Um, I'd like to have us at more like 40% when it comes to the staffing. But even like if we were to try to target 40% of staff, um, that could take us, given the current rate of recruitment, that could take us 12 years because the turnover is just slow. Like you know, we are where we are in terms of percentages, and even if we grow, it would take twelve years of just recruiting uh, women to try to get us up to just forty percent. Um, so it's a it's a it's a slow process to to redress this balance. But we have we have certain mechanisms that we actually do employ, um, and they do work. But it it's it's slow. That's the thing. It, it's a very slow process.
4: I was a diversity hire. <laughs> um and in that like my my I, not not at CSIRO but um I my my boss uh, told me well after that months after that um that he had specifically sorry this was this was this was the grad position um and he specifically like all of the grads that he'd had working with him before had been men and he thought that that was probably not great and so wanted to do better and so like when he looked at the shortlist and you know the top couple of candidates and you know he had to pick between candidates who are men and candidates who are women because that's those were those were the terms that he saw the world in I, I don't think his brain was ready for non-binary people unfortunately but um he like sort of the women which I don't that's like an inherently bad approach like I I think you know if you have a shortlist and you don't know anything about the people in the shortlist apart from they all have the same skills and the only differentiating things are their genders and you have a team full of men um like it, it kind of makes sense to like I don't know like I think the way that he framed it in his conversation with me was maybe a bit needlessly um brutal but i i do think that you know like things like i get pulled into hiring panels a lot um because i am a female software engineer and there are not many of us around um in data 61 at the moment um because they don't want someone to face a hiring panel entirely of mainly white men <laughs> um you know stuff like that i think stuff like that helps and you know the, the stuff that Aaron mentioned helps. Um, but also like so many dimensions of diversity are invisible. Um, like, like queerness is invisible most of the time. Um, like it's, it's pretty hard to look at someone and go, aha, you, you're a queer, unless, unless, unless um, you have bright purple hair. <laughs> um.
1: <laughs> Unnecessary, uncalled for. That is just my lighting. I, I can't change that. <laughs> <laughs> Me too.
4: but yeah I think so I think like we have to you know and I think again like that goes to some of the stuff that Aaron's talking about like thinking about like how you write job descriptions is actually a huge thing um you know of course like a lot of companies these days have like the blurb at the end of the the job ad description that's like we we are we interested in hiring people from diverse backgrounds we love diversity which is like great but in terms of like um I don't know there's the statistic that like women are much less likely to um apply for a job if they don't meet all of the requirements whereas um men and this has only been studied on women and men as far as I know um uh are more likely to like meet some of them and apply anyway um so you know having a little notice at the end of your job ad being like do you meet most of these apply anyway um you know making sure like the language that you use isn't super gendered and like all that sort of stuff um I think does help a bit um sort of yeah but like Aaron's right like we will it's it's a needle that will only shift very 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 slowly but it will shift and it I think hopefully is shifting I don't actually know
5: I will say actually one thing about these like little blurbs um, that they that you put in uh, the actual ripple effect from those can be really quite important. Um, so with some of the other heads of school in computing in Australia, we've been having discussions for the last few months about how we can do things to mutually support each other. And one of the things we all identified is that there's this massive over reliance on metrics, and how people just the first thing they do is they just they introduce you to say oh I have four papers that are A star and I have three papers that are A- and I have two that are B plus. You're like, tell me something important and impactful about any one of those pieces of work. So we're trying to turn the dial around. We're trying to say, look, just tell us about why this piece of work is important and then worry about, you know, where it's actually been published in terms of the metrics. Don't just come in and say, like, I've got three red beans, two blue beans and a green bean. Therefore, I am going to get myself a magic tree that's going to take me up to the next (laughs) level of paradise. So, but because we in Unis. W, as soon as I was I had this discussion, I thought, look, I'm just I'm not going to wait for others. I'm just going to put this blurb into our new ads. I put it in, we put it into several of the ads. Lots of people start talking about this online as like, oh, look at UNSW. They're 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 decoupling from that way of thinking. And then other universities are now actually starting to adopt this language. So these little blurbs that you put in for one reason actually can have a, a very rapid and ripple effect across the entire sector and across an entire industry. So I think that's that is actually key. Like the recruiting process is the place where you you can make you know a systemic change for good and then other people can see what you're doing and going oh that's a good idea we can do that too and then suddenly it ripples out quite fast so i think recruiting and being first to kind of take leadership in some of these ideas is is very important
0: a situation sort of like this where um we were trying to disclaimer i'm not in charge of hiring anyone and this is me talking i don't even know what a license takes on hiring are Uh, we were trying to hire three people to start a new team, but we wanted to join me on a team. And there was like, kind of like when you're assembling people to perform a heist, we wanted everyone to be very specialized and have their own thing and all be very different from each other. So we could all like, have different ideas and uh, argue about it and try and find the best idea but we like that was sort of the most important thing and so we were like ah we need we want to hire a like diverse team we know the we know the research is showing us that diverse teams perform better but what what does that mean um what we realized is like oh what it means is like different people having different ideas perform better than like five people having the same idea at each other so when people have different ideas and so we were like oh we don't really care like what kind of we, we really, we really, the thing that we care about is that like their diversity of thinking and the diversity of ideas, right? And we can't really infer very much from someone's application. We can maybe guess that they're a woman or not. That's kind of the best we can do. And like, so we realized, like, okay, we're going to have to just hope. Like, getting people to apply will be like getting the, the getting the like, different people to apply will be hard. And then in the interview process, we'll just have to like try and see how differently their like ideas and thinking are to everybody else who's applied. And like, ah, oh, this is going to be this is going to be hard. And like, um. Overall, we did do it, but uh, or we did something we we don't know we don't know who we didn't hire, right? But um, we realized that yeah, it was about the diversity of thought and diversity of ideas and stuff, which you know is sometimes represented in like physical attributes or attributes you can tell about someone. But yeah, like you were saying, Emma, often it's totally invisible and you can't tell. You just have to test it in the interviews.
4: I think I think it kind of a lot of it comes back to like people, people tend to sort of gravitate towards people who are like them. Like I I know, I know I do. Like I know, I know if I'm at a party and I see someone else wearing, wearing um, a flanny, I, I, I want to talk to them. Um, And like, I think that's human and all, but I, yeah, I think we need to challenge that. Right. And like, actually seek out, you know, working with people who are different, to us and hearing different ideas because you know as as every news article I've read on the subject shows like living in a social media bubble where everyone says the same things um that you agree with over and over again is is bad for you um and so yeah even if you can't like look at someone and go ah, oh, yes she is wearing Doc Martens she is a lesbian uh, which is less true than it used to be you know right now everyone's as, everyone as wears doing, Doc Martens <laughs> right? Right, everyone does but like when I was when I was a teenager when I was a teenager um you know it it raised the likelihood that the person wearing Doc Martens was a lesbian Um, (laughs) um when I was a child um yeah so I think if you if you sort of focus on um you know trying to challenge your internalized assumptions about things and you know Listen to the people who are different to you, even if your brain doesn't automatically do that, you will you will probably um, by many metrics end up with a better result for everybody.
0: I've totally had that experience you're talking about with like being at a party and being like, Oh, I definitely want to talk to this person. And then the first time I went to like a queer party, like, like a public event where like everyone was queer, I was like, Oh, it's something usually there's only like, you know, one or two people at the party that I want to talk to but this, it's like everyone here is that kind of person. That's weird. I, I wonder what it could be. And eventually I was like, Oh. Um,
2: I guess. Yeah. Uh, we've all been talking about how the um workplace like has sort of like, we're trying to, um, make a conscious effort to sort of like hire for like, I guess, different ideas and different different ways of thinking. Has that sort of like, do you think that slowly helped make workplace culture, I guess, like more welcoming, I guess? Or have you seen that change for the positive or is it like too early to tell?
5: So I've worked in, you know, places like Japan where it's very singular type of culture and similar in Singapore where there's a li- little bit of some foreign you know influence there or even in Scotland where there's kind of a little bit of a blend of some European but largely a, a kind of a local culture. So I've sort of seen different samples of blends. Australia in computer science here in UNSW is ethnically very blended, uh, cultural backgrounds very blended. Um, people from like from who are from Australia, who are not from Australia, people are from Sydney, who are not from Sydney, very blended. Still, our uh, representation of, uh, you know, um, women is is low. Um, but many of those things, many of those blends are, are quite present already. And some of the things, of course, it means is you it stops people making assumptions about lots of things that they that they would make assumptions about where I worked in the past around, you know, what people are doing for their families, what people are doing around religious holidays what people are doing with respect to like, you know, how their family structures are are set up. So that's quite nice. There's no, there's no, there's no baseline where everyone says, Oh, you're, you're one of us, therefore you're doing X, Y, Z. That doesn't exist because everyone knows everyone's family and background is so different. You just can't make those assumptions. So that's probably why it is actually easy for myself and my husband to kind of fit in because we're just another kind of variant of what's already quite a, quite a diverse set of, um, uh, situations people have, like people have, you know, older relations living with them here. People have, you know, their kids living with them here. They do or don't. They're 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 partly living here. They're partly living in other places. There's so many diverse elements within our school already that it just makes such a kind of a a, a mixed pot. That uh, when we come along, we're just another slight variant on the the, the already very mixed up kind of space that we have which is uh, which I find quite nice and kind of liberating because you don't come in and then people make certain assumptions about your religion or your family background or anything like that. That, that never happens here because people already know it's so diverse in so many of those di- different dimensions. People would just be, they know they'd be wrong to try to guess, so they don't.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. definitely something you can see a lot of contrast even within Australia. Tamworth was a very boring place in terms of diversity. So whenever I come to Sydney, it's... A lot more interesting.
4: I worry about a lot. Is um, like I I've never reported directly to someone who wasn't a man. Um, and I don't think, as far as I know, oh, uh, actually, I think there was one point where there was someone in the reporting chain between me and the CEO, um, who was a woman uh, for a little while, but like the thing that I worry about is like the people in positions of power, um, like even, even if sort of the the sort of more junior, less experienced people are more diverse, the people in positions of power, like it gets, it seems to get more diverse the further you go up in the chain and the people making decisions, um, you know, more likely to sort of um, be in a position to deliberately or accidentally entrench, um, you know, outdated assumptions about what people are good at. Um, yeah, so I, I think, like, it has to be getting better, right? But like, I, I, you know, there's a huge, people talk this about this a lot, but like, there's the retention problem of, um, women in tech, how like, you know, there's a the supply problem but there's also the retention problem where um, they they leave. Or I've noticed, and this is purely anecdotal, but like most of my friends were not men who work in tech, work at companies like Google and Atlassian. So they go work for like the big giant tech companies, and that's that's not actually it's not actually a bad thing. You know, if those are the good places to work, they should go to the good places to work. Um, but I I think that um, like. I don't know. Like, I would like to say that I've seen it getting better, but I I personally haven't. And I, you know, until I start seeing people like me in positions of power, that's when I will know that things are
2: changing for the better. Alex, it looks like you're thinking about that. Oh, yeah.
0: I was just thinking about, like, uh, I was like, oh, yeah, I had, uh, for a while my manager was a woman and it was great. Um, and I was also thinking about how you're, you're saying it gets more... Uh, it gets more diverse as you go higher up the chain. And some people who are in higher, like, presumed of more authority tend be more diverse. I have not noticed that in. No, like... oh, no. I
4: meant the opposite. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, in
0: that case, I have noticed that, and <laughs> yeah. yeah, big agree.
4: <laughs> yeah, because like a lot of a lot of the software engineers I know are, are not white, for example, but all of the more senior software
2: engineers that I have ever known um, have been very white. Um, I think. Uh, I guess also steering it back to, I guess, like more with being queer, I guess, I I guess, like, does that also mean like, um, I don't know, is it something that's even like discussed in the workplace, like queerness?
0: It doesn't like no one has ever sort of asked me about queer things or even suggested or even like been like oh Alex do you and then like long pause like no one's ever done anything like that because I think because it's a workplace or maybe it's because they're too afraid of the answer but may, I think it might be because it's a workplace and you know you're kind of not kind of not allowed to do that you're kind of like to ask those things that but people especially if you're in a uh, position of authority over them but like in general like they sort of have to bring it up. Absolutely. I've I've never seen people, I've never seen
5: people bring it up with me. It's, it would be for them, they could get fired for bringing that up. I mean, that's not something that they need to know about me. For me to be able to do my job properly if i offer it as a piece of information and then they happen to know it's part of who i am like in in unsw like the dean will know because i've invited him over to my have you know dinner with myself and my husband all the other heads of school know because you know they've been over here to have dinner and, and barbecue as a group um, but unless i offer that piece of information up nobody would know that and for me i could never ask somebody about that kind of information most of these uh what are called protected characteristics um they have to stay protected because if I was to ask somebody even though I'm just asking in a kind of a polite casual social way the people the people would then think oh Aaron's now going to use that information when he's helping, when he's deciding on um who to who to do a piece of work or who to get him involved in a grant or something and again I don't, I don't want to know this information because I don't want it to seep into my thinking and my decision making. So you just don't ask because it's, it, you don't need to know that information, therefore you don't ask.
0: Yeah, it's tricky when people sometimes, like, maybe they're not meaning to, but they accidentally ask in sort of like a subtle way. They're like, oh, so did you go to Mardi Gras or something? And it's like, ah, it's like, oh, if I say yes, what does it mean? If I say no, what does it mean? What do you, like, we have to really try and, like, download their entire consciousness into your brain and try and figure out what it is they're asking, which is too hard a lot of the time. Mm -hmm.
4: (laughs) Yeah, like, when people, oh, i not, not my current team, but, um, the moment that I came out to the people at the last company I worked for um I think it was when they asked me if I had a boyfriend and I was like no no I'm gay um and like yeah like very much like because cis and heteronormativity are so pervasive like people just you know you are you are straight until proven gay um and so it it I don't know. Like, I may be weird because, like, the team I work with are really, really close knit. Um, like, obviously, we we don't like, you know, we don't have in depth discussions about sexuality um, over like work lunches. But like, it's it's definitely like, you know, I felt comfortable sharing my experiences about queer things, and people have like, you know engaged in polite conversation about that as you know talking to a human being who's talking about something that you're interested in but like you know no one has I don't think anyone has ever walked up to me in a workplace setting and been like are you a lesbian? Um
0: do people do that to you outside the workplace has that happened very much yes oh okay (laughs)
4: yeah um yeah no it happened to be in high school um Annie a bit not in a I like to think people grow up. Um I think they do. Um but not not even in a sort of um if you're a lesbian, if you answer wrong, I'm gonna punch you, but in a that's so weird. Tell me about lesbian like people, I don't know. Um people like typical typical dude bros basically. Um yeah. I don't know. I also just like I, I kind of I maybe fall on the evangelical side of queer because I just think that someone has to. Like I think it it does good in the world to be loudly gay in public. Um even if it's like it, it is scary. Like it's not, I, I think I come across as a fairly confident person, but um like most confident people are not particularly confident. It's just that someone has to. I don't know. So I, I want to be the person that like little baby 12 year old me didn't see.
2: Yeah. I think that's a really nice way of putting it um, because you know that it's like, it would have helped you earlier. So why not? Um, why not be that person? Um, I, I think it's also interesting to me because like as a student hearing that, like it's like in the workspace, like this is such a, like a taboo topic um, is that reflective of um I, I guess like, do you think there's like a little bit of a fear of like being discriminated? Or is it's just like not something you believe that even if we have like if people weren't bigots, like even like then you it, it's just like not relevant to the workplace? Is that the case?
0: I think it's both ways. I think like partly it's like, you know, sometimes it's illegal to ask or it's illegal to know, but also mm-hmm. sometimes I think people don't want to talk about it because people they they don't want to ask because they don't want to get in trouble for they don't want to seem like they are like being discriminatory even if they're not like I hey, like remember one time at work the, the guy asking me, I think fairly instantly like, oh hey, like oh Yo, you're wearing nail polish. Like why are you doing that? Why are you wearing nail polish? And I was like, oh it's I don't know it's just good. I just like it. And I realized the guy like kind of froze up a bit and was like, Oh, wait, I it was like okay, yep, cool. Was realizing like, oh, I can't actually ask about this because maybe you might think that I'm like accepting this, and so on and so on. So like, I think that's one of the reasons it gets talked about less.
2: That
4: happens to me a lot, actually. Um, where like people people will say something, and then they'll be like, oh, wait, sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean it like that. I'm I'm not homophobic, and it's like it's like. On one hand, it's really nice that people care, you know. It's really nice that people want to go out of their way to not make other people uncomfortable. On the other hand, it's like, can we just, like, can we just not make a thing of this? Can we just move on? Like, I generally, like, I don't know. Most of the people I work with are lovely and I'm not going to immediately interpret the things that they say as homophobic um, because they're not. Um, Yeah. It's definitely... Yeah, I run
2: into that one quite a bit actually. Um and I guess like Alex, like is it um if you're like coworker had to like ask, are you like out as non non-binary at work?
0: Uh, uh yeah, yes, sort of. Like there's in that that, like, I don't really I don't really talk about it much because it doesn't really come up, right? People don't really ask about it. It just doesn't really happen when they uh, at some point they like my work added a feature to like put your pronouns and your slack like something on your profile and I was like okay I guess I'm out of work now but like that was that was kind of it that was kind of all there was to do
2: yeah
1: okay um
2: and I um Blake as well are you I guess like out at uni or like just mm. in
1: general yeah pretty much same as Alex I don't care enough to be upfront about it really like if there's an option to put pronouns in my discord profile on a certain server then I guess I'm out there
2: um and I think I also just definitely wanted to touch on like misgendering in general um uh, because especially with Blake, I was Blake's camp leader um at um first year camp and I like during that whole time like I um, once Fiona like was like, oh, I know um, Blake's non-binary. Like that would be really good on this podcast. I was like, I didn't know that. I was your camp leader at a um, like at a camp where it's supposed to like a welcoming place, and like it just like never like I, I think it's a product of um yeah like it was like a massive oversight that like just at that place no one like asked for pronouns, and then so you weren't like no one else could have like um, specified either. So first of all, like apologies for that. And um, yeah, do you think like it's something that's like necessary, like like people can do better?
1: Um, I think like all things, it is something people could do better in, but I don't foresee that happening for a long time. So it's, it's not something that bothers me because if it did, I would get bothered a lot and I don't have the energy for that. Mm. So I guess it's just something that you just deal with and it is what it is um
2: alex do you feel that, um like i guess like similarly because like again like you've been in the media a lot and i've like also noticed they um they they don't really go for um i've never seen they them being used there Oh right yeah
0: I mean I don't explicitly tell them I think one actually no I did I went on this one podcast and like the host like you know recorded the whole thing and sent me like the preview version and Mm -hmm. um, it was like hey is there anything you want to change and there was a few things I was like oh he's high quality audio and stuff and one of them was one one of the things I was like I also like I prefer they them pronouns and like yeah it was was, was all he him in the um, podcast and I was like but you know I also understand, like, if you've since you've recorded this whole thing, you're going to have to record it all again. Like, if you want to it as it is, that's okay with me. Like, I'm fine with that. And the guy was like, oh, no, totally. It's okay. And like, read the whole thing with like different pronouns. And I was like, oh, that's so nice. And that's so, um, like, that's so inclusive. But also, I understand when people like, uh, either if, if, like, if they don't know, like, if you don't tell them your pronouns and they just like guess based on looking at you, like, what else can they do? Like, I, I understand they're not like trying to hurt me. They're not trying to like invalidate me or anything. They're just like doing their best. Or, well, like, even when they do know your pronouns and they accidentally do the wrong ones, like, I, I also have to talk to non-binary people and call them they pronouns, and it. it's hard. Like, your brain gets up sometimes. Like, you're not trying to, like, like, as long as someone's not trying to, like, call me the wrong pronouns on purpose to be like, yeah, what are you going to do about it or something, which would be a, a weird flex. But as long as they're not doing that, like, I understand because it's hard for your brain to do that,
1: you know? Yeah, I definitely agree there. It's, you can't expect people to use the right pronouns if you don't tell them. So it's kind of just like that. And sometimes when people have gotten it wrong, I've got messages on Discord that people are, I'm so sorry. It is good to see that people do care, but it's not really something that you need to make a big deal out of.
2: Um, Yeah, that's nice to. And then hopefully I, I just see it more often, like people like specifying their pronouns. And I think that definitely helps because... Yeah, I, I, like, as Blake said, like, it, it does take energy, right, to always, like, correct people and stuff. So um, and yeah. it's not something that you should be, like, expected to do, like, all the time. It is,
5: it is sometimes forcing people to out themselves, though, uh, which is can be very uncomfortable. They Everyone says, oh, let's all use our pronouns. And people are like, I'd rather not because I'm not comfortable with this particular group of people who I don't know being forced to give you my pronouns. I don't know, quite know how people will react.
1: There are definitely times where there has been stuff like that and I have just come out as not being non-binary sort of because Mm. I didn't particularly want to.
4: Do you think that cis people like on Twitter particularly on Twitter I've noticed that people tend to put their pronouns in their Twitter bio like um do do you think that like cis people announcing their pronouns helps or does it just not help at all and is it cis people being performative
0: allies. No, oh, it helps because, like, I think they're yeah, are fine. Is, yeah, I think it's just like people put their pronouns there because they want people to, to know what to call them. So this is like when I talked when I talk with this person, what should I say? And it's nice to not have to guess, even if it seems obvious. Some people think it's obvious, but then it's not. Yeah, I think it's fine to put them there. I don't think it's performative.
1: Even if the intention is to be performative, it still helps. That's true. Yeah, I
0: guess I can't tell why they're there.
2: I guess it's also part of the normalizing thing, like just normalizing, specifying pr- pronouns. Might yeah, make it more definitely. Vulnerable. Also, I wanted to circle back to um, Aaron mentioning, well, one, you mentioned that you've been in the media um, because of, um, I guess, your sexuality. And also you mentioned that um, your husband was uncomfortable, I guess, like holding your hand in public. How, how do those, I guess, like, how do, you, how do those like two come together? Um, like, have you found that difficult?
5: yeah i mean brad that's my husband he's actually australian we met here when we were in college um but because we then went to live in ireland and um, he was only able to get a tourist visa to come with me for a year and we had to actually appeal to the government um to uh, be able to allow him to stay with me beyond his one-year tourist visa um, and then a year later when we get that renewed we have to basically show that we've been a couple a partner so in the end then the the um uh, Gay and Lesbian Unions for Ireland association that we were part of. Uh, the Irish Independent, the Irish Times, and the other newspapers basically covered us. And then we they came to interview us and videoed us and we were uh, we were in various newspapers. And it, there's this line which was, we have to keep our bills for seven years to show that we're an established couple. And actually that that, that has repeated itself again and again, <laughs> because we've had to kind of go through this kind of putting forward a case that we're actually a, an established couple. Um, more than once, um, every time we've moved to different places, it's kind of, it's reoccurred. And to this day, that folder I have of all of this kind of paperwork that actually shows we're a couple, we're a relationship, continues even though we're actually this is our 10th anniversary of getting of getting married this year coming up um, and even even now we still have that because i'm always afraid eventually we're going to stumble into some jurisdiction where they don't care that we got married in scotland and they're going to want a, a, a whole bag of paper um and it, it basically it's about it's about stepping up and being, and I think Emma said earlier like that, to see, to be that person, that 12 year old version of yourself that sees you in the newspaper or sees you on TV and goes, oh, well, that's just, that's a, they're, they're, there's just a, a, a very regular, you know, a gay person and they're just living their life and they're just doing something. And oh, they're a computer scientist. Oh, well, I'm interested in computer science. oh there's there must be lots of gay people. Oh, there's lots of gay people everywhere. And you're like, and it's just that kind of, you want to be that person who you would like to have seen when you were young to just realize that this is very unsurprising and very boring. Um, in the in the article I said like you know Aaron and, Aaron and Brad come home their gay Christmas tree twinkles gaily as they make their gay dinner and they they're baking their gay cookies and they're having their gay dinner and I remember saying this to the journalist and my husband was sitting there going don't say this don't say this this is going to be in the article I'm like it's funny it's funny because there's some people who still think like you know all of these other aspects of who you are means oh everything about you is now like you're totally different you're like no most most of the time, most of what we do is very regular. Like, you know, we get up in the morning, we eat, we cook, we socialize, we do all of our stuff. And this is just one aspect of who we are. And yes, it maybe permeates us in in different ways, but it's just like everything else. You know, it doesn't define you as, as an end to end individual. It's just, it's just one facet of your life. Um, so I think I think it's kind of funny that people just kind of they 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 see you as a gay person and they just they've seen all of these fragments from the media and they think, oh, well, you must like this and this and this and this. You're like, no, that's not. That's not how being gay works. Like You know, it's uh, it's not a one size fits all.
3: Yeah, just adding on to that, like, what is it like when um, gay marriage was legalized?
5: Um, in different places. So the first time when we actually did have our first ceremony, it was only civil partnership. And then six months later, they actually uh, changed it to having gay marriage in Scotland. And then we were able to go into the registry and they backdated our civil partnership to be um, a marriage because we actually uh, myself and my husband, we rented a train and we took everyone on the train that we rented and we had 36 people go up into the highlands of Scotland. And We stopped the train in the middle of a field and we had our ceremony with, uh, harpists. And then later in the evening, we got up and we had bagpipers and we were out on the on the, on the train platform, having a leave. So um, we were in the we were in the in the London Times. They announced our wedding in the London Times because it was such a unique um, experience that the two of us actually got to have. But, but I mean, apart from that, like I mean, to this day, all of our friends and family will still say it was the best wedding they ever at because in every way that it mattered, like you know, you were marrying the person that you loved. Your friends and family were there. You had a ceremony. You had cake. You had you know music. You had food. You had too many gifts. You had too much hangovers. You know, like in every way that it was to be getting married, it was being it was being married um, and that's just kind of that's just nice I and mean, so that's nice now that you know um, and we were living out of Ireland for example when you know the when the marriage referendum happened but it was that was so lovely like because 10 years before that we'd have to kind of write to the minister to just beg to allow Brad to be able to stay. And then 10 years later, they were having like, you know, public vote and you could just watch and all of our friends and family were out like advocating for it and it was like getting people's grandmothers to vote for it. So that's really reaffirming when you see that happening. But still to this day, like the number of countries in the world where you can, you know, marry your partner is very small. So there's still a huge number of countries out there where we, we're, we're very lucky in Australia. We're very lucky in Ireland, very lucky in the UK, um, but that's not uniform across the world. So I think that is why like this generation of people still has to put in the effort to kind of be advocates and to kind of show that this is just very regular. This is just part of life, you know, um, very unsurprising, really. Um, and and, that should, and everyone should have these rights around the world. They shouldn't just be exclusive just because of who you are and the sexuality that you have.
2: Um what about I, I guess I, I'm assuming that the rest of the guests, none of us are married yet. Um, <laughs> but uh, even so, I guess like because I remember the um the the day the marriage plebiscite got announced. I remember that day very vividly. Um, I, I guess do it was is that sort experience sort of like shared by anyone?
1: Yeah, that was one of those things. led to a discussion in my English class and I was not out then so that sort of happened a lot and it's quite awkward Mm. but it worked out well
2: um yeah like oh yeah it's like when you're not out but you like did it feel Mm. awkward in the sense that like you spoke too much did it feel like you were um going to out yourself is was that the feeling
1: oh no I did not speak at all I just let things happen yeah Mm -hmm. it was Tamworth and that school in particular was definitely not a place that I wanted to be out in um
2: yeah because uh like what was like sort of being said in that English class like was it positive or was it like some negative as well
1: um I think everyone there was sensible enough to not say anything like outwardly negative but still just the awkwardness of being there knowing that people are indirectly talking about me while they don't know it it's just a weird feeling yeah yeah
2: because uh like same thing happened at my school um I also went yeah I went to a religious school so there were people who Mm -hmm. I, I guess what it did is like there were people who were like against. They were very like outwardly against, and I, I guess they felt validated in that. And then so they were quite loud about it. Um, that being said, there were also very people very loud about being like for it. But yeah, it was a bit because at that time I was like out to like my friends, but like like I, like I don't know. Like it's the whole school. Like I wasn't that close to all of them. It's not like I wanted. I was particularly keen on telling everyone. So yeah, it was just like. Um, Yeah, when people get very heated it's just kind of like you kind of realize like hmm, they're just like talking about me but they don't know about
1: it yeah it's like hmm I do not want to be here right now (laughs) sort of thing yeah
4: I remember that day at work really clearly not necessarily like people weren't homophobic or anything but like people were like everyone wanted to know what I thought as like the spokesgay. And I just, I just, I felt like, I don't know. Like I, I just wanted to have a normal work day. Like sometimes I don't want to be the spokesgay. Sometimes it's fine. And sometimes I just, I just want to quietly mourn the fact that we have to put this thing up to a national vote uh, in peace. And I don't know, like, people are fine. A lot of people came up to me and they're like, I voted, I voted yes. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> no, it's, good. it's nice that, like, people wanted me to know that they weren't raging homophobes, I guess. Like, it's, yeah. But, like, I, I like, I personally know, oh, this is kind of a funny story. Um, I, I, so, I, I I was, like, vaguely, like, friendly acquaintances with this one guy. Um, and... Um, he, I discovered, like, later that he was an active no campaigner, um, and didn't know that I was gay, and so next time I saw him, I, like, casually, casually let slip that I was a lesbian, and now, ever since, he won't make eye contact with me or stand within a meter of me, and it's the funniest thing. Um, yeah, so... Yay, having a vote on
5: people's personal lives. Imagine living somewhere on the day when they decriminalised being homosexual and watching what they were saying in the media and what the people in the churches were saying and what people's family who didn't know you were gay were saying to each other about all, all of what all the gay people are going to start doing in society now that it's been decriminalised. And wasn't it a terrible thing that Ireland couldn't hang on to this? Because, of course, this was at the same time where you know, you couldn't get condoms, and there was no abortion, and there was all kinds of other limited rights. And only a generation before that, you know, I think the year I was born, um, if my mother had been um, working in the civil service, and she got married, she would have had to quit her job, because you couldn't be a married woman, and also hold a job in government, because you'd be taking that job from a man. So (laughs) you go back in time, and it's like, it's tortured things that have happened to so many people. Um, it's it's kind of a, it's a ripple of you know awfulness when you go back in history.
4: I think a lot about the AIDS crisis um, and the fact that like in many ways like we we lost a lot of that generation and how like you know these 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 stories stories from older gays like obviously obviously you know we survive um they survive but like that's sort of this this gap I guess like of of sort of lived experience and culture and stories of like all of these mainly men who died from AIDS like I don't know, it's it's sort of this great big gap in in queer history. I mean, obviously, like it's not gay men do not do not make up the entirety of um queer culture. But I, I think about like, you know, hearing stories of like there are lots of stories about queer people growing up, but there would be more stories about sort of queer experiences and queer people growing up, going further back in time. Um, and I think again, like there's sort of the the sort of weird. I don't know. Again, like I, I, I wasn't around them, but I think there's kind of the weird disconnect between like, you know, today, like the world has changed so much in so little time, that it's really hard to sort of connect sort of, you know, if, if you lived through these horrible things and saw so much homophobia, Aaron, you might be able to talk more about this. It's like, I think it might be hard. I know I find it hard comparing like experiences from when I was a kid to experiences now. Um, and like the world has changed, but like my, like, I still lived through the bad stuff you know that still happened even though it's not happening anymore today and like there's sort of a weird dissonance there but I would I would love if you if you have anything that you want to share Aaron you probably would know more about the stuff than I do maybe I don't know
5: Probably about uh, probably ten years too young for yeah. for for the for the real cuts of it, and actually probably thirty years too young for like when the original sort of Stonewall riots and whatnot were actually happening. And um, I I generally felt like I've had a kind of a a very good positive experience of being a, you know a gay person um, living through life, but always just have had the the workload of dealing with. We can't live in this country because we're not going to get a visa or I'm going to have to be mindful when I'm in this country because there's no legal protections or when I go here this is going to happen um, and also just being kind of constantly aware of the language that I use um, and also just being constantly aware of my kind of physical safety so I've I probably internalized a lot of the kind of the burdens that I have to kind of bear and I, I, I think back to, you know, what it could have been like 50 years ago, how awful it could have been then. And I think, well, relative to that, it's actually pretty good today. Um, But it's yeah, that's maybe that's not a that's not a very fair thing for the future generations to have to deal with. Because I think no young person today should basically no family should have any reason to sort of ostracize their, you know, their their kids, no friends, no school, no university, no workplace. It should just be like, oh, yeah, this is just another facet of who you are. You didn't choose this. Um, it's just who you are, uh, just like anything else about you. Um, It's very boring. I mean, who cares? It's just, it's just another facet of life. You know, we're, we're not, we're not, uh, we're not, we're not going to dwell on it. We're just going to, you know, embrace you and accept the fact that we've got this huge diversity of, uh, of people in the world. And this is just another aspect of that diversity.
3: Yeah. So um, to wrap things up. um, um, So like, how can people be like good allies and like, create like a welcoming welcoming space in general like especially in UNSW and other universities what can they do better for their LGBTQ plus students?
1: I think the main thing is just being flexible with how you think about things and keeping an open mind being open to change because with queer people a lot of the time they do change their mind on things like gender I didn't immediately one day go, oh, yep, I am non-binary. It's a whole process and you have to allow people to go through that at their own pace and support them through that.
0: Today, we talked a lot about how how a lot of these problems come from not being exposed to people who are different to you in some way, right? And so I think one way that people become better allies is if they understood people who are different to them, in this case, talking about queer people, but like, I guess it works in general like learn more about what do the queer people doing learn more about I don't know the culture what are queer people what are all these words people keep saying that would probably help because they would understand it more and like maybe it would be a bit more like race in the sense that people understand okay there are different like races and cultures and they do think differently and that's okay maybe it would be like that if people understood it more
4: yeah I think I think sort of like on a day-to-day level sort of consciously making room for people who are different to you. Not necessarily. Like you don't, you don't have to sort of um, you know, every time someone asks a question, go, what about the gays? But I, I think, you know, in terms of like when you make decisions and sort of look at things, think about like, you know, how might this decision impact people who are different to me? And like, you know, just in an everyday sense, recognize that you know, like like Aaron's touched on, like humans are so like within a person there are so many different things, and like you, the the more the better we get at treating each other like complicated human beings, the the better the world will be.
5: And I think the what's what's nice for universities to try to do is to use whatever levers of control they have, but actually where people are acting as allies or where people can actually be um, champions or where you know students or staff can actually kind of be held up um, as examples. Um, because it reminds people, I think it just reminds everybody about the diversity uh, across the board. So Yes, you know, today, maybe you're you're being held up as an example um, because of your sexuality. But actually, that will help tomorrow. That will help somebody else because of some issue of ableism. And the day after that, it'll help a different person because of ethnicity. And the day after that, it'll help somebody because of their their diminished rights that they actually have. So. So today you're an advocate for one aspect of who you are, but because it reminds people it reminds people to think differently each and every day about all of these different dimensions that we want to encourage everyone to think about. So I think we're just, we're kind of, we're one of the, you of know, we're one of a bigger army of all the different dimensions of diversity that we want to have out there. And we have to play our part, not just for other um, lesbian, gay, transgender people, but actually for all the people who are in a minority. Um, and I think if all the minorities gang up, then we become a majority.
2: I think that's a great way of putting it. Um, that I guess, like, just rem- as a reminder of like, we're not the only minorities, and we can we can definitely make it easier for other minorities just um, by by championing um, championing that. Um, and I guess lastly, is there any advice that you would give, um, maybe to anyone uh, listening to this now?
1: Try on nail polish, it's amazing. You don't have to be gay or female to wear nail polish.
0: I don't know, be careful. It might awaken something within you. I don't know, I don't know if I recommend it. <laughs> em- em-
5: embrace who you are. I think, especially if you're, if you're watching this and you're in uni, this is a time to define who you want to be for the rest of your life. Become the kind of person that you want to be for the rest of your days and be embracing of the differences of others stand up when you see other people getting downtrodden and stand up for who you want to be and who you are on the inside and who you'd want the world to see you on the outside and this is a time to kind of define yourself and be brave like so i think if you're not brave then the next the next generation behind you will be a little less brave and then everyone all the all the fights that people have had in the in the past will just will, will go backwards so just just take the chance to be a little bit brave in uni um and i would hope if you're in computer science and engineering i would hope you'd understand that like you know your head of school is gay, and no, nobody, nobody. If you if you see anything, this is the one thing I would say. Though, is if you see anything that you think is kind of going against this kind of inclusive culture that we want to have, like, let me know, um, because we will want to make you know we won't want to stamp stamp anything out that we think is you know going against our, our inclusive culture. So, do stand up, stand up for each other, stand up for yourself, and become who you want to be for the future. And if you see anything, say something and let me know because I'm always listening
4: even if this doesn't help like in the moment you get better at navigating this stuff. Um, Like, like as time goes on, it doesn't necessarily like, I think the world does get better, but also like it gets easier navigating being queer because, you know, part of it is your skin gets thicker, but you know, you, you, you find more people like you, but you know yourself better and you get more confident in yourself and like, you know, that doesn't help someone who's having a really rough time with, you know, gender and sexuality stuff right now. But, like, I definitely think that, like, as time goes on, um, it, it, it does get easier um, just through getting better at being yourself.
2: Right. Yeah, I, right.
0: that's, that's something that I had, like, I got, I mean, we've all had the advice to be yourself and it's good advice, but one thing I found was like, okay, I've got to be myself. Thank you so much, King. But how do I, like, how do I know if I'm doing that, you know, like how, and it was hard, it was hard for me to be myself. And one good bit of advice I got was um, not being yourself or like hiding how you truly feel about something or like acting in a way that you think is like what the other person wants to hear, but not who you truly are, any of those kind of things is denying the other person the freedom to choose whether they want to like you know hang out with you or talk to you or whatever and when i first heard that i was like what do you mean but i realized it's like oh well you know if someone asks you i don't know if someone if you feel like sort of hiding your identity from someone you, uh they don't get to choose whether they want to invite you to their party or talk to you or whatever because they don't know how you really are you're trying to like deny them that choice and like sometimes you're doing that because you're like well they might beat me up if i tell them so like totally fair But I realized they're like, oh, sometimes I'm like denying these people the freedom to choose, but I actually don't want to do that. It would actually be better if they, if I was myself and they uh, didn't like it and we stopped hanging out because otherwise I'd have to keep hiding it forever. So uh, that's actually good advice. Hmm.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Um, Thank you all for that advice, especially also Aaron, knowing that um, if there's any issues in uh, computer science, we can go straight to the top.
5: (laughs) Um, And and there's a lot of people in the school. Like, I mean, when you look at the admin structure, like there's lots of like, you know, there's heads of subject, there's people who are looking after equity, diversity and inclusion, there's people looking after the international students, you're looking after the undergraduates teaching, research, like there's, you know, it's a whole team of people who have different responsibilities and anything that anybody would face, any type of discrimination, be it around your sexuality or anything else, touches on not just my job, but touches on like dozens of other people's jobs. So it's a real team within the school. Like, you know, they always say, you know, the the arc of moral history is long, but it bends towards justice. And I think that is true. And now in, now in UNSW and in the school structure, it's not just me, it's the whole team of people, all the tutors, all the staff. I think you'll find lots and lots of allies within all of CSC who will kind of raise these things up. Like the student representatives, and they'll they'll flag these issues up, and hopefully they'll get you know they'll get dealt with at a kind of a, a at a close level. Because I think a lot of it can be nudging. People say something, and then somebody else goes, "Look, that's not who we are. That's not who you really want to be." So I think a lot of what we need to do is at the kind of low level nudging between people to kind of remind each other that's not who they want to be. Um, and it's only when it comes up to me does it actually become very serious. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a big team in CSC, which is a really lovely place to work.
2: That is awesome to hear. Um, and I think. That brings us to the end of this podcast today. Um, Thank you guys so much um, for coming in and, well, coming in virtually. And um, it's been really great. It's been nice also, I don't know about you, but just to like be queer computer science people and talk about it um, is not something that I've, like, yeah, I I think this is a great opportunity. Like this was a great chance to get to do that. Um, And yeah, thank you for all of your amazing thoughts um, and but, wh- but, guess- but, where,
5: but where were the suggestions of all the cre- queer features that people need to put into programming languages? Like, you know, how do you how do you need to change programming languages so they can adapt? You know, where's where's that kind of research insight that I'm looking for here? No? Look <laughs> <Get> at all, <the, laughs> all, all the industry people shaking their heads with, whoa, I'm sorry, Alex. I'm sorry,
2: Emma. I was thinking, I'm sorry, Aaron, for what you must have been through. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, VS Code is pretty rainbow already, so... (laughs)
0: Finally, finally representation.
2: (laughs) If um, any of the listeners want to hear more from uh, CSE Soft Media, we're releasing new content every single week. Um, And we've actually got a podcast with Aaron Quigley himself, more about lecturing that's coming out um, later, probably next month. Um, So yeah, uh, stay tuned and uh, (laughs) thank you for listening.